you want better than me uh, through technology and podcasting and uh, various things like that. And, uh, but part of what you come here is, you know, not necessarily just the music, because you can listen to music anytime you want nowadays. It is the worshiping with each other. It is the, the ministering of hearing someone sing full-blown out, Lord, I need you. It is to hear someone who I know have gone through hardships say, God is mighty to save. That is part of the ministering of fellowship, of worshiping together. You can't really get on the internet. You can't get on TV. It is to be with one another as we worship. And it is a building effect in my life and faith to be with one another in doing that. To pray with one another, to encourage one another, sometimes to challenge one another. And so I appreciate so much the, the music leaders, uh, you guys, what you're doing, and choir and um, worship uh, band to lead us in this way that is very much ministering to my own heart, and hopefully it ministers to your heart uh, to understand what it is to be together with one another. We're going to continue our study uh, this morning on Acts, uh, looking at Acts chapter 13. Uh, we're going to look at the very first sermon uh, that was uh, given by Paul, recorded uh, for us, uh, and to, to read this sermon together and see the effect of it, uh, as we're seeing that Barnabas and Saul, who now is being called Paul, as he goes into the Gentile audience, uh, he takes on a Greek name. Uh, not so much his Hebrew name of Saul, but going by Paul, uh, it seems to be more of a mission strategy than, than anything else. As these two and their team are going out, uh, we're going to look at the promises of God and, uh, and how God has worked in history as, as Paul brings it to us. Uh, and you know, it really matters to know that God's promises are true and that they do come out. You know, in October 1940, there was a presidential uh, candidate by the name of Franklin Roosevelt, uh, who made this promise. Uh, he said, I've said this before, but I shall say it again and again. Your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars. Well, the candidate, 1964, Lyndon Johnson, maybe didn't learn from that. And so he promised in October... We're not about to send American boys nine or 10,000 miles away from home to do what Asian boys ought to be doing for themselves. Well, that didn't quite pan out either. Of course, some of more recent history, 1988, uh, George Bush Sr. Uh, had the infamous saying, Read my lips. No new taxes. Right, of course, that didn't quite pan out. Uh, and you got uh, President Clinton. Uh, I don't know if I need to say anything. But do you know what the definition of is is? <laughs> uh, and just one story. I have another President uh, Bush uh, on the battleship saying mission accomplished. And it's just one thing after another. We, we, we get used to it, don't we? American leaders make promises. And in some ways, we're going to listen in just to see what they promise so that we'll know what's not going to happen. Um, they say it, okay, we know that's not going to happen. Um, and so, 
As we read this passage of Acts 13, Paul is presenting, look what God promised. Look what he did. And how the promises of God are true. And why is it important to know the Word of God? Because it is the promises of God. It is more sure than the ground that you walk on. And so, Paul is bringing this out to a synagogue, a mission field, uh, as they have gone to Cyprus, to that island. This was uh, Barnabas's home. They've had opportunity to saturate the gospel in very powerful places, even to the ruler himself, who may have been from the area where they are now headed to. And so they take a ship and leave the island, heading due north uh, into this area of southern Turkey, um, not terribly far away from where um, Saul uh, grew up himself. Uh, and so uh, they begin the mission journey as they are being sent from the church of Antioch. And we saw how God was moving and moved through that church to send out for the very first time missionaries intentionally going out. And then they go uh, to uh, an, another place uh, uh, one of which is called Antioch, not to be confused with the Antioch they came from. You know, it's kind of Antioch, Syria is where they came from. That's a good spot. Antioch of uh, Poseidon, uh, well, they're a little bit more challenging. So we're going to start with verse 13, uh, and we're going to read through our text this morning. Uh, and so in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read together Acts chapter 13. And as we read this, here's what I want you to pay special attention to. Note, every time Paul says that God did something okay note that whenever God did something just kind of put a little mark there in it in your mind now Paul and his companions set sail from Pamphus and came to Perga and Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. With uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you, who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. 
And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring to you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said of the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. You may be seated. So in this sermon, there are really only two main points that Jesus is, or that Paul is bringing out in this sermon. Uh, as would have been normal, the course, as they get to this place, the Bible tells us that John Mark left as they travel about five miles inland, treacherous journey. And we learn in Acts 15 that John Mark, this was really a contentious departure. Not just he needed to go home. But something happened here. Luke doesn't tell about all the details of this rift that occurs. Just something happens. But as they go into this synagogue, which evidently was a Jewish population there, the custom normally would have been uh, that there would have been a reading of the, the Pentateuch, and then a reading of the prophets, and then someone would come and give a sermon or exhortation. Really what we experience is modeled much after the synagogue. Uh, it's kind of interesting to read uh, what was the customs there, and it's very similar uh, to what we do. Uh, and so uh, at this time, they see Saul or Paul and Barnabas and his, their entourage is there with them. And they, you know, remember Paul is studied under Gamaliel, one of the famous Pharisees. And so he's kind of recognized a little bit as this is an educated man. And he gets invited to speak. Uh, and so he brings up a message. And so in this message, there's two main points, as I was saying. One, all of history is God's working. He is sovereign control. He is the author of all the history. And so as he looks back, he does a quick run-through of the Old Testament history. He kind of does a, skips over a lot of things and says, look, here's all the points. And I want you to understand, when you read how God did all these things, you, did you read and take note of that, of all the things that God was doing. He says God was the one who's choosing, who's selecting certain people, that he is raising up kings, bringing up kings, destroying seven nations, uh, that he raised up David, brought to Israel Savior. He promised something. He raised him from the dead. He's fulfilled. All these things are the actions of God. God is the author of history, and he's working in it to a point. And so I want us to look back and think that, and remember that in all the things that have happened, God is sovereign. Even 
ever earthquakes. You know, some of you were very quick, like I was, to say, I thank God that you're not in Nepal. I was like, I, yeah, I said the same thing. <laughs> God, thank you, I'm not in Nepal. That, that didn't happen while I was there just three weeks ago. I was more concerned about Egypt, you know. And this happens. But let's, let me just tell you something. If I was there and I did die, it's okay. God's still in control. See, sometimes people think, if I'm really good, if I'm going to serve God, then God's going to protect me. And He's going to watch over me. He's not going to let His good people die. So, several problems with that. First of all, I'm not a good person. If, if you are thinking that, I, let me just set you straight. I'm not. I've got evil desires in my heart continuously. Okay? Just ask my wife. That's why you get married, so that there's witnesses to some of these things, you know? So, it is not unjust for God to call me to die early in an earthquake, or any person, for that matter. And the very fact that we are here still is nothing but the sheer mercy of God that allows us to continue to breathe the air that He created, use the heart that He pumped, using the blood with the nutrients that He made to do the things and actions and to speak and to hear with the organs He made, it is that we are held up by God. And so when tragedies occur, a tower fell down in Jesus' day in Luke chapter 13. And some people ask the question, did these tower fall on these people because they were uh, wicked? And Jesus' response is, is Luke 13, 3, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's how Jesus responded to tragedy in his day. Read it, Luke chapter 13, verse 3, right there. And so that's the, the takeaway of this, is understand that God is sovereign over all things. And as, as Paul is mentioning, he says, look, all these things that we've studied and read about in the history of the Bible, these are things God is control over. He's working in these. I want you to understand that all the subjects that we study, the things that, that we see in schools, like we've got to read these things, we've got to study, we've got to learn these things. You need to understand that God is behind all these things. Our education system doesn't allow us to talk about how God is the author of these things and how they point to God. It gives superficial answers to questions of why should we study math? Why should we work on our grammar? Why should we study history? And someone will ask, why is this even relevant to me? Why am I doing these things? And a teacher might say something, well, you know, really it will help you in, in your life. It will help you be influential. It will help you communicate if you know how to speak in a way that people can understand. If you know math, it will help you accomplish certain tasks. And it just gives superficial reasons why we study these things. But do you know that the reason why these things exist is God? So we study grammar because God is a God of communication. He is the Word made flesh. And so if I want to follow God, I need to learn how to communicate because God has given to me the most precious thing at all that I could ever communicate. So let me study grammar. 
Let me read some of the great works that man has done so I can see in them the threads of humanity that points to God. You know they do, don't, they, don't you? The songs that we sing point with threads to God. And so, what does this mean for us? Understand that as Jesus is, or as Paul is talking to a Jewish audience and then to a Greek audience that are interested in the things of God, learning and reading the Bible, he appeals to them where they're at. And he says, let me start with the scriptures. Let me start with what you know, the Old Testament. Let's go from there. But you know what? When we're talking in our day, in our everyday world, we're not usually talking to Jews. And if we're in our business world or in our communities, we're not necessarily talking to people who come here or some other place where they're reading the Bible. But listen, if you can remember how everything you do is connected to the Lord, there is a basis to bring up the Lord at any given moment of time. A couple conditions. First of all, notice why is it that Paul is bringing this up. You see this? Verse 15. He is invited to. (laughs) Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Listen, one of the things that we need to pray for, and I've shared this before with us, is we must pray for an open door. What does an open door look like? An open door looks like when people want to hear from you. When people want to hear from you are from God. When there are questions they bring to your attention and it says, hey, what do you think about this? All right, what we're going to pray for is open doors just like Paul. Now, sometimes you go to certain places like a synagogue and it's going to come right to you, all right? There will be some things where it'll be just handed to you on a platter. Take it, take it, all right? Sometimes it's going to be a little bit more tricky. I remember I shared the story a little bit with some of you. My, my, my grandfather was working in a parolee board, and he was a believer, and he was a type of believer that back in the 1950s and 60s liked to share the gospel with people one-on-one. And so he would do that as a parolee officer, and he would lead chapel. The state didn't look very well on that, and you can guess why. Well, if an inmate wants to get paroled, then all they have to do is become a believer. Well, that's a problem. And so he was forbidden to lead, in, uh, lead chapel in prison, so my dad did. Uh, and so he was forbidden to bring up the gospel. And so granddad asked this question, well, can I respond to questions if it's ever asked of me? And I said, well, sure, you can do that. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And he started praying for these questions and started living to make sure that he was adorning the gospel by his lifestyle. All right, that doesn't necessarily mean that you put, you're wearing the, the Christian t-shirts, all right? Uh, That's not necessarily how God has asked us to witness and and putting it on the bumper stickers, but in our lifestyle, how we live our life. And so wouldn't you know, granddad said, he said, you know, I got more opportunities to share the gospel after they forbade me to speak about it than I did before. Don't, Don't be concerned when you're in an environment where they says, you know, you can't just bring this up. Ask them, well, can can you respond with questions? If people asked you, you see, that's how it needs to be anyway, that 
that you're praying for open doors, that you're living in such a way that people realize there's something different about how you live. Your hope is different. Your joy is different. Your identity is different. Your peace is different. How you uh, are humble is different. Listen, everyone does good and everyone does bad things. The difference is what you do when you do those bad things. The Christian says, I will confess my sin and repent. All right? That's part of the unique aspects of being a Christian is the humility and love. And so here Paul is, and he's been given an opportunity. And so he starts where they're at. So what if you're working in some place like math or some place like a science field or some educational field or some hospital or some administrative situation? Listen, one of the things I want to bring to you is I've shared with you before is found in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And let me just add this, if he is creating all these visible and invisible things, rulers and authorities, that includes laws that govern life. Laws that govern math. Laws that govern science. He created all those things. Why? They're created through him and they're created, get that, that last bit, verse 16, for him. They're created for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead and everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I was talking with one of our church members this past week, and uh, they were, they've been praying about opportunities to share the gospel and having opposition and sharing the gospel where they're at. And uh, they said, you know, we were just outside, and uh, this person was looking at the lightning storm and just realized and just made this statement. I like to look at lightning because it reminds me there's something much more powerful out there. What do you think? Opportunity. You see, God is over thunderstorms. But that's not just all that he's over, is he? He is over your field of work. He's over the science that's behind it, the laws that are behind it, the things that govern it. He sustains that. If you can uh, ask God, God, help me to think through how it is that what I do is connected to Jesus Christ. It is. It is. So that when questions come, you have a philosophy for how you do your work, a, a ministry perspective on how you do your work that you teach not just to raise up a generation of people. You teach because God is your great teacher. And he has given you the opportunity to influence for the ministry's sake. And you're raising up a generation of people who will be smart in the ways of this world so that they can go to the world to share the gospel. You parent in the same way. Pray for that. Think through That's what Paul is doing in a large scale. But then he's taken through, and really we don't have all the time, to teach the whole Bible as he's summarizing uh, much of the whole Bible, and bringing out how it points to Christ. But as we keep on reading, he starts getting quickly to it as we go to verse 21. talks about Saul, and then Saul was removed. David was given to us, who had a man after his own heart to do the will of God. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, 
Jesus as he promised. So God is the author of history, but the pinnacle of history is Jesus Christ. Everything that's happening up to this point is to point to Jesus Christ. The good, the bad, the ugly is to uplift Jesus Christ. Why do earthquakes happen? Well, I could tell you that, well, it is the way that nature has come when man sinned and nature itself became adversarial toward God and all manner of disasters was birthed with sin. And it is, as I said in a prayer, groaning, waiting for the day when Jesus will establish his reign. So sometimes when we have these uh, tumultuous activities like weather, it reminds me the power of God, but it also reminds me of the ugly nature of a broken world because of sin. And it is the very thing that God is working against and is through natural disasters, through adversarial situations, through opposing kings, that God is not thwarted. Notice how he talks about this. He says, you know, Jesus came, he's the pinnacle of history. And then, you know, the Jews didn't understand the promises and so they crucified him. And you're thinking, wow, you know, that must really messed up God. (laughs) The pinnacle of all of history coming God in flesh and they nail him to a cross. But as you know the story, God says, no, not at all. I was aware of these things and I'm working through these things so that the glory of God is lifted up. When things happen against our desires, when nations rise up and eliminate Christians, Like what happened in Somalia when the few remaining believers there were totally wiped out in Somalia. And there is no, that we were aware of, Christian witness there. When things like that happen, you wonder, God, how did you allow that to happen? It seems totally opposed. Listen, what we do know is that God is aware of all these things and God is working in all the nations that opposing God is going to be one day nothing but a footstool from which Jesus is lifted up. And so the thought that is given to us in Scripture is that yes, opposition will occur, but it's not the end of things. There's going to be opposition to your Christian life, but it's to show the greatness of who Jesus is. So when things happen, financial difficulties come. Physical hardships happen in your life. Relational problems occur. National disaster. When these things happen in your life, it is to say, God, I don't yet know how this is going to happen, but I believe through Scripture that you will be glorified and Jesus is going to be lifted up through the financial ruin, through the physical elements through the relational strains you see there are people at odds and sometimes we ourselves are at odds against jesus but jesus is never thinking oh no he takes what the enemy gives and lifts up himself through it all i don't know what you're going through we've all got different things But as I read this history accounting of how Paul says this is how Jesus was glorified, it lets me know that God is the author of history and Jesus is the pinnacle of history. And that includes not just national history, my personal history. Jesus 
is the pinnacle of my own personal history. Of all the things that occur in my life, Jesus is going to be lifted up. Is this something you believe? If that's true, then we do not wring our hands in anxiety and worry. There's still a king, and he's on the throne. But what do we do with this? What did this king do? Well, we keep on reading. You notice what it says, verse 30. He was buried, taken down from the tree, but verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. For many days he appeared to those who had come up with them from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now witnesses to his people. We bring you the good news that when God promised to the fathers that he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. He's presenting the gospel at this point. Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and among many witnesses. These things are, is the essence of what the gospel is about, what he's done. But then, why did he do this? Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The gospel is given so that you might be free of sin. You can't do better and do better your way out of sin. It's not by going to church more, by being more righteous, being more loving, being more serving, being more giving, being more generous. It's not done that way. It's done by trusting in Jesus Christ who died for your sins. You must, when you present the gospel, pray for that opportunity. Work where they are and show how it connects to Christ. Then present the basics that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, rose again, and he can free you from the shame and the penalty of sin. You've got to present that. When you share your testimony, you've got to share how God has done that in your life. But there's one important part here at the end. Notice how he concludes the sermon. Verse 40, 41. <laughs> what a way to end. Beware, lest what they said in the prophets should come about. He's quoting Habakkuk here. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days. A work that you will not believe even if no one tells it to you. What is he saying? He is quoting Habakkuk who then is referring back to Isaiah who's talking about the prophecies of God when Babylon comes that if you don't listen, there's going to be judgment that comes. Your nation is going to be destroyed. Listen, listen, because if you don't listen, something's going to happen that's going to astound you. Not in a good way. In a bad way. So Paul is bringing out If that's true of the Old Testament, if that's true from Isaiah and Habakkuk, how much more true hearing the word of Jesus and then not listening, not heeding, ignoring who Jesus is, there's going to be something that happens that is astounding in a very bad way. You see, a gospel presentation happens with an invitation to share the gospel. Happens with connecting where people are to who Jesus Christ is, presenting the essence of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. But it must have an invitation. There is a a choice that has to be made. Paul's saying, look, if you don't listen, there's a a warning that's going to come. And it is hell 
It is separation from God forever. Jesus is the only way that this can be avoided. It's the only way it's going to happen. You know what I found in sharing the gospel? I don't mind talking about the love of Christ. I don't mind talking about how Jesus died for my sins, how I can be right with him, how shame can go away, how God can change me, give me purpose in life, and, and what it is to have a relationship with God. These, these are relatively easy things to talk about, but here's where the trick comes. The, the first hard part is bringing it up, right? Bringing it up initially. And then the second hardest point is, now that I've shared it, what do I do now? Do I tell them that they have to make a choice? Or do I just kind of leave it hanging? Or let them walk away? Because I'm kind of scared to say you have to choose one way or the other. Because what if they don't choose right? Listen, part of the gospel presentation, when Paul brings this, this is the discipleship community, this is the message that changed Rome, changed history. It all goes back to who Jesus Christ is, but in the end, there must be Do you believe Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't, there is a consequence. And it is astounding in devastation to your soul, to your body, for eternity. Every good sermon is going to have that conclusion. So what do we do with this? Before you can share the gospel message, you've got to know the gospel. You've got to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Do you walk away saying, well, there's a pastor talking again, saying the same old stuff? Listen, if God's speaking to your heart, it does something I can't do. It bothers you. I can't bother you. God can. It puts questions in your soul. I can't do that. Only God can do that. And if God's speaking to you, you know, it's one thing to ignore your mom and dad, but to ignore the God who made you, who sustained you, who's the author of history, well, that's another thing altogether. And to walk away from hearing the gospel that Jesus died for your sins, rose again, wants to take shame away from you, to walk away from that only adds greater guilt, greater sin. If you know that message as, as your Savior and Lord, here's what we do with this. Pray for an opportunity for someone to ask you what it is about you, what it is about why you do what you do, what it is about God. Do you know anything about life? Do you know anything about forgiveness? Do you know anything about love? Do you know anything about joy? Do you know anything about identity and how to get identity? Do you know anything about these things? And in Christ, you do. Pray for opportunities for people to talk to you about that. Share the gospel. Connect it with who they are, where they're living life, and how Jesus is connected. And give them an invitation. Would you be willing to make Jesus your Savior, Lord? Is there anything in you that keeps you from receiving this free gift of salvation? Is there anything in you that makes it so you don't want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior? Let me ask you, is there? What keeps you from making Jesus your Lord? What keeps you from making Jesus your Savior? ask it what's the worst that can happen to you you might have listed a few things but how does it compare to who jesus is let's pray